Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is Emily Kaplan. Emily, what's going on? I'm good. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. I'm excited. I've been trying to, on the list of people that I've wanted to have on this year, um, you have definitely been atop that list. You've been the breakout star in terms of covering the league, and I'm excited to finally have you on the show. I appreciate that. I think I'm probably like still third in Calder rankings, but um, I'm hoping to, you know, make a push to number two of the postseason. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's open there. I mean, you know, um, I don't know who the who who would be the Matt Barzal version of uh, of hockey writers this year. I don't know. That could be you, honestly. Yeah, I, you know what? I think I'm just giving myself a lot of credit here. I think I'm the only rookie hockey writer this year, so <laughs> it's unanimous. I win. I'll take it. Um, okay, so let's talk a bit about the uh, the GM meetings which happened this earlier this week in Boca Raton. I, I know you were there. Um, I don't know. From the outside looking in, it seems like it was one of those things where it was basically um, the GMs decided to go to Florida for a couple of days, play some golf, hang out at the beach, and they looked at this thing and they said, "You know what? I think everything's actually pretty good. Let's uh, let's just carry on with the way things are going." Uh, like, did, was anything actually accomplished over this week beyond um, just kind of tinkering here and there? That I am not sure of. Uh, these events are always fascinating to me, and I give my editors a ton of credit. They kind of send me down there with the expectation that we might not get news, but because I am a rookie hockey writer, it's really great to show face and start to establish these relationships. Um, I find them hilarious because it feels like you have the same small talk with everyone you are there with. You know, I introduced myself to GMX. He's like, how are you? Great. And then he goes, well, can't complain because we're down here, right? And it's like, yep, I've had this conversation 10 times. Uh, I think they all like fraternizing. I'm pretty sure Gary Bettman has a house down there. I think that's why they have these luxury resorts. Uh, Obviously, the big topic, though, was goaltender interference. And it was really funny the first day. They were only supposed to talk about it for 90 minutes on the Monday. Uh, It ended up monopolizing all their time. It was a three-hour discussion. And when the GMs came out, they all kind of had differing views. There was Lou Lamarillo, who was like, yep, change is going to come. I believe it's going to come. And this is a big issue for our league. And then you have Mark Bergevin, who's like, eh, it's not a major problem. I'm not concerned about it. So uh, you have varying opinions there. It turns out they did something. I just don't know it's totally addressing the issue. Mm, that sounds very NHL-ish. Um, yes. You know what? I'm somewhere on the 
I'm, I'd say like I'm a four or five on the scale of, okay, let's say one is um, just complete ambivalence and 10 is Dave Lozo's recap on Vice, where he seemed <laughs> very, very perturbed by the entire situation. Like, I think... As- I think fans. Skepticism. <laughs> that's one way to put it. I think fans should be annoyed a bit just because, you know, looking at what's going on in the league right now and concluding that everything is actually just fine, uh, really seems bizarre considering I think that most people that follow on a regular day to day basis would have a similar laundry list of stuff that they'd like tended to, whether it's goaltender interference or offside. So the idea that, uh, we're just going to keep things kind of status quo in the way they are seems a bit bizarre to me. Sure. And look, so the big issue is goaltender interference. We've heard coaches, you know, raise their hands about it, saying this is crazy this year. Guys like Cam Talbot have been outspoken. The league got really pissed off about that. They don't like when people within their organization criticize them. I can't believe they would feel that way. (laughs) And so um, they came up with all these stats, right? They said there's been 170 instances of video review for goaltender interference. And out of those 170, they said there's only about a half dozen where the league office itself that Department of Hockey Operations really disagreed uh, with what the call was, and there was kind of internal debate. So what they decided to do is to send all these decisions to the Situation Room in Toronto, right? But my whole thing is, okay, if there's 170, and you're really only debating on six, and that's really what the central voice is going to be, like, that's not really solving the issue. That's only solving a small percentage of the issue. The big problem is that it's a really subjective call, and we don't know what that call is, and I don't think this clears anything up for the players, the goaltenders, or the coaches. Right. Yeah, I think I think if you ask people, they'd go, okay, I just want like a clear definition and I want you to enforce it. And that seems like a uh, a simple, simple ask. But I, I honestly think the offside thing is is more perplexing to me because they basically looked at it and concluded that, you know, we don't actually have that big of an issue with it. And I watching these games, I strongly disagree with that especially with the rule in terms of you know your skate hovering over the ice and how that impacts it like i feel like people really don't know what's going on here with that yeah and this is something that the league wants less um review calls on they want coaches to stop calling it well coaches are not going to stop calling it when they can get a goal taken back like that's just foolish to ask them so i think this is something that was tabled for now but i would not be surprised if they revisit it soon Mm. All right, you know what? Enough about that. Starting <laughs> starting a show with this kind of chatter is uh is not the way that I want to go about this. Let's talk about more fun stuff. And I know that you were in Winnipeg recently. Um, you're going to be writing about Patrick Liney. Um, and you know, you mentioned that you were listening to when I had Alex Pruitt on last episode, and he was sort of you know being a bit coy in terms of what he wanted to talk about in ter- for his upcoming articles and not spoiling too much. So I don't want to get you to reveal everything about Patrick Liney, but um. I'm sure you came away with a couple of interesting nuggets you could share. Sure. Well, what really attracted him to me is his personality. Uh, a little bit of background about me. I covered the NFL for the past four seasons. It's my first year covering hockey. And something I always found fascinating about Lana, obviously I've been a fan, is during his draft year, he came out and said, I'm the best, right? Like, I deserve to go number one. And in NFL and NBA in the draft process, almost every prospect says it, and it's fine. Hmm. And in hockey, everyone is like, look at this guy. He's a psychopath. Like, it was the hugest deal ever. Like, why would this guy ever say that? What confidence he has? And I just, I was so fascinated by it because he really stuck to his conviction. Uh, He's a kid who's so comfortable in his own skin. He's really funny. And English is a second language. And you see some of these one-liners that he has. And I just really want to know more about him. So um, I flew to Winnipeg last week. Uh, I actually DM'd you because I had this minor nightmare where uh, the night before I was supposed to see him, he gets uh, that he take a shot to the mm, leg. Yeah. Uh, he leaves the game. It's a minor incident. So 
just to preface this, I land in uh, Winnipeg. I go through customs, and the first thing, you know, the lady's like, "What are you here in the uh, in Canada for?" And I'm like, "Oh, work. What kind of work do you do?" I'm a journalist. Uh, what kind of journalism? Uh, I write about hockey. She goes, you're here for line A, right? And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I guess this is going to be a pretty big deal. Um, you know, Sammy Holfren, who's a Finnish reporter based in Toronto, told me that already in the Finnish newspapers, there's like Finnish doctors debating the status of this. I saw fans tweeting at the Winnipeg um, police department asking if they were going to charge Alex <laughs> Martinez, uh, who had the shot that, that injured line A, and they actually responded and said no, they were not, which I think is also absurd. Yep. So um, long story short, I finally get to the arena and line A has graciously, you know, not canceled because he's not going to be seriously injured. And I relay all this to him. of like, Patrick, like, everyone's super concerned about you. And he just looks at me, he goes, I'll live. You can tell the people I'll live. So um, I think that's a little bit about him. There, there's something just so self-assured about him. And he's 19 years old, which is just crazy. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that the uh, the NHL and the way it generally goes about his business hasn't really beaten that personality out of him yet. That was one, one of my big concerns because I knew in the pre-draft process and kind of getting to know him a bit in uh, around the World Junior time, uh, you know, he really seemed very confident and exciting and completely different. Just a different cat from most of these other guys. And uh it seems like it's even escalated, especially with the facial hair these days. So uh, that's really good to see. Yeah, we had a long talk about the beard. I also talked to some of his teammates about it. And as you and probably all listeners know, it was just like a bet with his buddy. But he just stuck to his convictions and is like, I'm going to keep this beard. And the guys get on him every day. He sits in a locker room next to Andrew Kopp, who is this gem of a personality. I was totally blown away by him. He's, he's totally fun. And every day he comes at him with something new. He's like, hey, Sasquatch. Hey, Abraham Lincoln. And every day, Lionel just like gives it back to him. And I, I kind of love it. I mean, whenever you see a guy like this, you know, he has he's coming up on 80 goals as a teenager, hasn't even turned 20 yet, as you mentioned. Um you start kind of comparing him to guys that have come before him and thinking about, okay, what could he possibly look like when everything comes together and he hits his prime? And I think most guys would typically sort of stay away from that chatter and they'd, you know, come off as whether it was genuine or not, sort of overly humble and go, you know, I'm going to take this one, one game at a time, one year at a time, and we'll see how it goes. I'm just happy to be in the league, so on and so forth with him, especially we saw, um, when the Jets visited Washington a couple weeks ago, um, he was sort of embracing that and an entire chatter, uh, him versus Ovechkin and the Rocket Richard race. Like it seems like he actually sort of understands what's going on here and is willing to embrace it. Yeah, there's something about him. I think I'm going to butcher the quote, but he told me it's like his personal policy not to lie to the media because he thinks it's stupid and a waste of time. So if there's anything on his mind, he's going to say it. And so, for example, he was on the goal for on the ice for Ovechkin 600, rather. And he was like, everyone's asking, like, what was it like? And he's like, yeah, it's great. I can watch the tape and I'll see that I got a minus on the play. <laughs> but um, the same kind of, you know, brazen attitude also says, yeah, I really do want to win the scoring title. That's something important to me. And, you know, the first story I wrote for ESPN, the magazine, it was one of the first stories I wrote when I got the job, uh, was about Austin Matthews. And the crux of it is, why is this kid not a bigger star in America? He's the perfect backstory, right? He's a Mexican mother, uh, grew up in Arizona, goes all the way to Toronto to be the savior and not only lives up to expectations, but exceeds them. But something about Austin that I learned is all the environments around him, whether it's his agents who are perfectly curating his career and saying no to a lot of the endorsement deals like Gatorade and Nike that, you know, some of the other athletes and other sports would take to the Leafs where they have Lou Lamarillo, who pretty much puts a muzzle on all marketing and won't even put the kid on, you know, arena programs because that's not his policy. Um, he's just kind of following that hockey mold and flying under the radar. 
Whereas Line A, I think, has been let flourish a little bit by his agents who understand that he's a cool personality and, and ha- is comfortable in his own skin and is just kind of letting it ride uh, to the Jets. And, you know, being around that Jets room, I, I see why they're having success in the sense that there's such camaraderie there. And I think a lot of that plays into their personalities. And I love the fact that they're just letting him be Patrick. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer that he went down when he did. I mean, obviously, you never want to see the league's top players not be out there doing their thing. But what he had 18 goals and 26 points during that uh, 15 game point streak before he got hurt. And, you know, just watching him play with Paul Stasny and Nick Ehlers since the trade deadline has been so fun to watch. It was one of those things where, you know, in hockey, sometimes you never know how this stuff you know, they make sense on paper, but you never know how it's going to transit onto the ice. And it really just magically all came together for those three. So hopefully he'll be uh, back out there and ready to go for the postseason. For sure. And I think the Jets are looking at a situation where I believe there's eight points above them in the, uh, the central, eight points below them. They're comfortably in that two seed. There's no need to rush it back. So although he's so close to the scoring title, I don't think he's going to get it this year. But he'll be back for the playoffs, which is the most important thing. Mm. Okay. Um, he so. You know, you mentioned you're a rookie writer this year. Do you um, do you have a vote for the individual awards at the end of the year? I do. They gave it to me, even though I probably don't deserve it. Oh, that's exciting. All right. So <laughs> let's, uh, you know, let, let's get into this. I understand that there's a couple weeks left and conceivably, uh, especially for the heart, it feels like depending on who makes the playoffs and who not, uh, the narrative might change. But I kind of want to go through all these individual awards with you and uh, hash out some of the discussions and who the front runners are. Let's do it. All right. Um. Let's start with the Jack Adams. Let's work our way up. We're going to get to the heart eventually. This is a tease. We want to. We want everyone to stick around till the very end. Get um, in the unsexy part first. Exactly. Um, well, I don't know. Some of these coaches, coaches, coaches might disagree. Um, John Cooper's very slow. Mm, he is, but he's not very on my list. Comment by me. He's not on my. He's not on my list of. Uh, not of, on mine either. Guys. Um, no. Who, okay, so do you want to do do you want to do top three or do you want to do like top five here? Because I like when we get to the Vesna, for example, or especially the Heart, I'm gonna feel bad just cutting cutting it down to three. So maybe we could just do. But I don't know for the top five. I don't I don't even know if there's five coaches worthy of this award this year. So here's my thing. I think in some categories we got to talk three. In yeah. Heart, I think we got to go ten. Norris like twelve. All right, <laughs> I'm joking. Right. I think that's fair. I think Only that's fair. All right, let's yeah. let's do let's do the Jack Adams. Let's do the top three then. Um, so it seems like. Gerard Glantz basically had this unlock for the past, like, three months, right? Yeah, I think that in a ridiculous circumstances that he had to walk into, being an expanded franchise, also what's going on in that city, uh, the fact that he's managed them, rolls out four even lines, get all these guys to play career years, has Marc-Andre Fleury on the bench for a significant amount of time. Um, This guy won it. And you know what? We can make all the cab jokes we want, but he's a really good coach. And and when you talk to people, you know, around that organization or people who have played for him, the one thing about him is he's such a player's coach to the sense that he's just so simple. He doesn't overthink anything. His practices are really not structured. He doesn't really worry about other team systems. He lets guys play. And, you know, it's his time. Yeah, and the thing that I like is, unlike most years, um, you know, Vegas has been a bit fortunate in terms of puck bounce and stuff, but it's not like we're just picking the team with the highest PDO and just taking their coach here, which it seems like right. we usually do. So, well, it's uh, the PDO cast. You have to do that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, you know, like, I think Glant's going to win it, and it's it's deserved. Um, I'd say both Bruce Cassidy and, uh, and Jared Bednar uh, I don't know which one I'd have second and which one I have third. I guess Cassidy second just based on how good the Bruins have been, but I think both guys have also done a really good job. For sure, for Cassidy. I mean, you take a situation where they fire Claude Julien and everyone's kind of unsure. And this year, he's 
managing probably the most difficult balancing act in sports, which is contending while somehow rebuilding. The way he eased Charlie McAvoy in, the way he sustained so many injuries to this team throughout the year, uh, it's pretty incredible. And then as for Bednar, we talk about, you know, outside circumstances, having to deal with the Matthew Shane drama for so long, losing your best player and somehow coming out better, it's, it's baffling to me. Do you have anyone else on this list that, other than those three guys that I mentioned? Uh, I think that's it. I, I think Paul Maurice uh, definitely mm-hmm. um, intrigues me just because before the year, we were kind of talking about him as, okay, if there's going to be one coach that's going to be fired in season, it's going to be him. Let alone, let's just take a pause and talk about the fact that this is the first year since original six expansion. We have not had an in-season firing. How crazy that is. And it's pretty crazy considering there's been some guys who have been uh, pushing the limit. I'm looking at you, Doug Waite. I'm looking at you. <laughs> there's definitely Doug Waite. Another one that I found really interesting is Todd McClellan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. you know, with them underperforming. And when I talked to some people around the league, one of the theories for why he's kept his job is that, okay, the Oilers have been really bad, but their AHL team has been just as bad. So that points to A, systematic issues, but B, if you fire McClellan, you don't have an automatic candidate to promote as, you know, the guy. And I think in the age now where you see something like the Rangers, another example where Elaine Vigneault didn't get fired. Okay, if we're going to tear it all down, why would we want to come hire someone to, um, you know, energize the, the group? Like, let's just full tank. And I think to the Oilers, they got past the point of no return. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's an organization that likes for, uh, promoting from within, it's definitely the Oilers. Um, yes. Okay. Um do you got anyone? You got anyone else? I mean, I, I listen. I gave you all the goods. I gave you my top three. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know who else there is. I think Paul Maurice is a good one. But it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the sort of dichotomy there between Maurice and uh, Todd McClellan as someone who possibly could have been fired. And it's as we know, like a good goalie typically makes a coach look much better than he is. And it's no surprise yes. that we're talking about Maurice so much differently when Connor Hellebuyck has the type of season he's having. Whereas last year, everyone was talking up Todd McClellan and the job he's done. And this year it's, oh, should he get fired? And it's, well, Cam Talbot's performance is probably a big reason why. Yeah, he's not standing on his head anymore. Yeah. 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 It's funny how that works. Um, the Calder. Mm, I love the Calder. So it's between yourself and Matt Barzell. Yeah. So, um, look, I've talked to Matt. He's a great guy, but I deserve to go number one. Yeah. I've decided I've gotten a lot more confidence since this podcast has started. <laughs> yeah. It's really escalated in the past 20 minutes. Um, I, I still got to give it to Matt. You're, you're doing a great job so far. And I think that mm-hmm. in the next okay. 20 minutes, I might, I might have to revisit this, but <laughs> I know the reasons he buys is a thing, but no, with Matt, with Matt Barzell, I mean, it was interesting there with Brock Bester and when he was seen like he was scoring a goal every other day, maybe he could talk into it. But now with Bester being out and Barzell having, uh, over a point a game for the season, it seems like it's one of the biggest locks in a long time. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely a lot. But what I'm more curious about is kind of the guys who fall from the two to four range. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, it was a race between Barzell and Busser uh, pretty much all year. I would maybe put in a vote for Charlie McAvoy just because of the minutes he was shouldering and, you know, the role that he had on that team. This is a war that historically doesn't go to defensemen that much. We always just get kind of blown away by offensive stats. But Charlie McAvoy was having as good a rookie campaign as you see from a defenseman. I think his injury is kind of... Um, you know, pushed him a little bit out of the race. But then you've guys got guys like Kyle Connor, who's coming really hot for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy we don't talk about at all is Yanni Gord. Right? He's actually second in rookie points right now with 58. He's the centerman for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think he's being plagued by so many of the issues that Nikita Kucherov is for the Hart Trophy and Vasilevsky is for the Vezina, where when your team is so good, we just have a hard time giving one guy an individual award. 
Yeah. And it's interesting you didn't, um, a guy I would have mentioned there is Nico Hischier. And obviously, uh, mm-hmm. having been the first overall pick, it's not necessarily a surprise, but you know, he doesn't have the huge counting stats and it's, it's kind of eliminate you from this discussion automatically if you don't. But I just watching him play, I think he's going to be an absolute monster, especially at five on five and his ability to just cause havoc and drawing so many penalties and just seemingly constantly being around the puck at all times. And it feels like next year he could all of a sudden take this massive uptick and people are going to be like, whoa, I didn't expect that after his rookie year, but mm-hmm. it's been kind of bubbling here. Totally. And a guy who's probably maybe falls without the top five, but I just kind of want to give some credit to because I'm so impressed by him. is Alex DeBrinkett. Mm-hmm. I live in Chicago, so the Blackhawks are the team I see most often, usually, especially in the second half of the season, is to see the other teams coming in. But it's pretty incredible. Only three players have recorded three hat-tricks this season. Connor McDavid, Alex Ovechkin, and DeBrinkett. Um, it took Kane two, 623 regular season games before he recorded his first hat-trick. Jonathan Taze is 124. DeBrinkett has three hat-tricks in his first 73 games. And I think that, honestly, his emergence is my case for keeping Joel Quenville because of the way he carefully curated his rookie season, limiting his ice time to right situations. You know, he only plays about 14 minutes a night. Uh, he spent some time building confidence on the third line, also got to showcase his skills with Taze on the top line. Um, it's really been fun to watch. So I think he's a player, like I said, that's not going to get, you know, top three Calder Trophy uh, votes um, and maybe he's been overshadowed by the demise of the Chicago Blackhawks. But it's a really fun player to watch. So when did you when did you start covering hockey this season? Have you done a, an NHL draft yet? Uh, yeah, so the NHL draft is actually the first event because it was in Chicago. Um, they had me go and just kind of meet people. I wasn't actually technically on the job yet, so that's kind of my initiation. So I don't know if you if you picked it up or not, but uh, in hockey, especially during draft time, guys who are undersized typically get uh, overlooked <laughs> quite a bit, and Brinkett yes. is a perfect obvious example of that. I remember there was a lot of consternation during his draft year where he was putting up these crazy numbers in Major Junior, and everyone was like, why are people not higher on him? And it's like, oh, well, have you seen how tall he is? And it's like, uh... <laughs> Do you need height in hockey? I don't know. Is he grabbing rebounds? I don't know. What's going on here? Yeah. No, and that's the other thing that I think is interesting because I think over the last two to three years, even, we've seen a shift where players are shiftier and smaller and quicker. So I wonder even if Debrinket entered this year's draft, if he'd go much higher. You know, to your point on, uh, I was looking up the rookie scoring because you mentioned Yanni Gordon. I didn't even realize that he was second in rookie scoring, which is a fun fact. Isn't that wild? Um, yeah. The Bruins have two guys in the top ten, and Charlie McAvoy isn't even one of them. So that's you know goes yeah, to your Heinen, go, yeah. goes to your point, and, and Jake DeBrus goes to your point about uh, the job Bruce Cassidy's done and kind of bringing all those guys along, and how you know they obviously have the Marchands and the Bergerons and the Chara still there, but then they're supplementing it with all these guys that have come up through the college ranks and through the draft, and it's it's all coming together for them. Yeah, and DeBrusque really struggled early. And another thing for them is they couldn't figure out, like, line mates for Krejci earlier in the year. And now they have it all figured out. So just the growing pains they had to endure early in the year uh, to get to where they are now is impressive to me. Mm. Okay, the Selkie. Um, Ooh, this is a fun one. Define fun. (laughs) Uh, I think it's fun because there's cases, legitimate cases for more than one player. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. fun. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Wow. You're very easily impressed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So who do you, who do you have on your list then? Yeah. So obviously Bergeron was my favorite. Uh, I think he was a runaway winner for this award, but the fact that he's missed so much time, he's out for me. Uh, I think it comes. Or, do you agree? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, especially at this point, what is he going to, is he even going to get to 60 games for the season? 
Um, I don't know. It up right now. Yeah, he's played fifty five. So, okay. I think I think I think that's really pushing it. I, I'm I I'm all for like if a guy's played like seventy ish games. Okay, fine. If his impact has been that good and there's no other obvious candidate, I'm fine with it. But once you start talking about missing this much time, I think and with other guys being viable for this award, I, I agree. It needs to be bumped down a little bit. For sure. Um. So I got two guys that I think are my one and two. Okay. And I'm not going to rank them yet, but it's Anze Kopitar, mm-hmm. who's having a stellar year, and Sean Couturier. Did I pronounce that right? Because I've been working on it. Yes. Yeah, you got it. Good. Thank goodness uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, Kopitar is such an interesting case, and I've thought a lot about him, especially as it pertains to the Hart Trophy, just because he's so head and shoulders above what everyone else is doing on the Kings. Uh, he leads them with points with 86. No one else on the Kings has more than 55. But those are all cases for his Hart Trophy campaign. What he's doing really well defensively, um, it's pretty impressive. Um, And then we go to Couturier, who's a guy who's always been good defensively, but this is his best offensive season ever, and that's why we are talking about him for this award. Yeah. Well, and he stayed healthy, I I should say. Yes. Which is is a big check for him. It's... Yeah, the Kopitar thing is fascinating. I mean, obviously, um, we're recording this on a Friday uh, morning, and he just had a four-goal game last night in Colorado. And, you know, he's going to set career highs and everything you mentioned. And he was one of those guys last year where, um, much like the rest of the Kings, he seemed very unfortunate in terms of the puck bounces he was getting. And I believe he led Mm -hmm. the league in in, a number of posts he hit and stuff. So it's all coming together for him this year. This award, the thing, the reason why I was sort of skeptical in terms of how fun it really is, is because we don't really have uh, a uniform definition on what it actually entails. Like, I, it's supposed to be the best defensive forward, but it seems like it's usually sort of given to the center who is considered to be the best defensive forward, but also has an awesome offensive season, which just seems like really backwards thinking to me. Yeah, I guess that is a little twisted, and maybe that's not as fun as I thought. And you're right, like, what are the criteria? Like, we look at Corsi, we look at defensive zone starts, and then we look at points. Yeah, it's like, oh, Sean Couturier, who, by the way, is very deserving of this award and this discussion, and has been for a few years, but it's funny that, you know, this year, it's like, oh, he scored 30 goals. That means he definitely is one of the best defensive forwards. Like, well, it was probably true last year. Right, but has his defensive game improved significantly? I mean, I guess you could argue that the puck is winding up more frequently in the other team's net, which means it's not in his own. Right. So. Maybe. And maybe just because of the fact that they, once again, have serious goaltending issues that he's much more needed in the defensive end. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a stretch. Um, OK, yeah. let's uh, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor. And we're going to pick it back up with the Norris Vesna and Hart on the other end of things. Let's chat about SeatGeek uh, sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast. Um, I think anyone that's listened to the show has probably already heard plenty about SeatGeek. And honestly, if you listen to any podcast, you probably have. But there's a reason for that. It's because their product is so good and so reliable that you should be using it yourself. Um, Here's the thing. Buying tickets is complicated, confusing. Uh, It could be a time drainer. And you can kind of get ripped off and, and pay way more than the tickets are actually worth. But SeatGeek's essentially going to make sure that that's not going to happen to you because they're the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether that's uh, a sporting event, a concert, a comedy show, you name it. Uh, I personally use SeatGeek myself. Uh, I've used it plenty to buy tickets in the past, especially when I've been out of town going to basketball games. But recently I went to go see Mike Birbiglia at a comedy festival and everything worked out great. Um, 
you know, you just, you get the app on your phone, uh, a couple, cla- couple taps, a uh, couple seconds, and they're going to list out all the best tickets that are available, the best prices. They're going to grade it based on value in a super easy to use color coded map system. And then you just pick whatever you're looking for, whatever fits in your budget, wherever you want to sit, and you're good to go. And I know that I'm not the only one that's using it because I constantly have listeners of the show um, tweeting at me, thanking me for directing them towards SeatGeek, saying they had a great experience at whatever event they went to. Uh, most recently, uh, listener of the show, James Gordon, who does a fine job at the Athletic Ottawa, um, told me that he finally got around to using SeatGeek and using the promo code we gave him, and he had a blast. And I can only assume he went to a senator's game to use it and i'm also going to assume that the only reason he really went was because siki gave him such a good deal and it was such a pleasant experience because i'm sure the senators themselves uh, can't say the same anyways here's the deal um because you listen to today's pdo cast you're going to get 20 dollars off your first siki purchase all you have to do is download the siki app and enter the promo code pdo that's promo code pdo for 20 dollars off your first siki purchase now let's get back to the show okay the norris uh, we're not going to do 12 guys, but I think there's, <laughs> I think we could probably do a solid like six or seven here of guys that are legitimately deserving, which is going to lead to a lot of, uh, a lot of internet debates. I, I, were you around for the, um, for the Carlson versus Dowdy debate from a few years ago? Did you, did that happen to catch come on your radar? Yeah. I got to be a passive observer for that. Oh yeah. It was, uh, it was something else. There were, uh, we lost a lot of good soldiers. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm glad I have no hot takes to take up for that. <laughs> um, okay, let's start rattling off some names since you're the guest here, and then I'm going to jump in with guys I agree or disagree or add to the list. Okay, ready? Brent Burns. Okay, fair. Um, okay. I'd say not in the top five. I would probably agree. Mm. Uh, here's my leader, Drew Doughty. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's been he's been good. Um, I think he's your leader, really. Yes, well, and I'll tell you why. He's a possession driver for the Kings. Mm-hmm. He plays nearly thirty-one shifts a night. His ice time only trails Ryan Suter. It's almost twenty-seven minutes a night, and he's not you know shy offensively. He's got some pretty good numbers there. Right, and yes, I, I do like. I mean, he's he's looked um, a lot better this year under John Stevens. It seems like a lot of those guys have been kind of freed up to uh, be more creative and jump into the play and not necessarily be as restricted as they were by uh, by Sutter's system. So I do enjoy that. Um, yeah, I, I I can't talk myself into him being the leader, but I, I I'm right hmm. there with you with him in terms of him and Burns as being like kind of on the periphery of that. Sure. All right. So here's an interesting one for you. P.K. Subban yeah. and or Roman Yossi. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yes. I think Subban um, is, if I had an, a list, an, an, a ballot, and I don't, unfortunately, um, I would put him in that top three to five. I think he's been so good this season. And, you know, because of his rep, especially from a few years ago, he doesn't get talked about this way. But, like, mm-hmm. there's an argument to be made that he's sort of the preeminent quote unquote shut down defenseman in today's league in terms of the guy you just stick to the other team's best forward and he's gonna just give him hell for the full 60 minutes totally and there's something about it it bugs me so much it's just like we talk about him differently than we talk about other players but um if you just watch this game it's pretty incredible okay so we i do have i have suban i have burns and i have dowdy on my list so far um, okay keep going well then here's my okay so initially 
this was the person that I said about a week ago is my favorite, and that's Victor Hedman. And mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what you think of him. Yeah, I mean, with him, just like we're going to get to with Kucherov and and uh, less so Vasilevsky now that he struggled a bit, but it's it's kind of tough to separate him from the other guys he gets to play with, especially like, you know, you look at the offensive production and you kind of have to throw in the caveat, oh, well, you know, it's a great team and he's in a perfect position, especially on that power play, but it's tough to argue with the results. And it seems like from a narrative perspective, just like with Dowdy a couple of years ago, like he seems like the guy who hasn't won it yet, who is so good that he deserves one of these on his resume. So this just might be his quote unquote season. That's kind of how I felt about him when I was like, okay, there's 12 guys here. Well, Hedman deserves it. He's deserved it for some time. Let's just, you know, <laughs> if, if no one else is a favorite, let's give it to Vicky. Yeah. Um, and then here's the next two guys we'll, I'll bring up because it, it kind of leads to my internal debate about this award. And it's I feel like we always just give it to the defensemen with the highest point totals. And I think there should be a separate award for defensive defensemen. We get John Klingberg and John Carlson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yep. is your take there? Yeah, especially especially with Klingberg, I feel like. Uh, and, you know, Carlson's had a great year, too. The thing with Carlson that I'm a bit jaded by is, like, I know that he's going to get so overpaid this summer on the free agent market. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like trying to distance myself from it a bit and i don't want to talk him up too much because i don't want to be attached to that i know you don't want to give him more money yeah oh i mean you know what i want i'm in favor of all these guys getting paid and especially in john carlson's case he was on such a team-friendly deal for the past however many years that he should go and get every single penny he possibly can but um with klingberg he definitely especially after everything that went wrong in dallas last year and him playing bizarrely poorly um i'm happy to see that he's rebounded under hitchcock and it seemed like that might not be a fit that would necessarily make sense that he might be a bit too hitchcock might be a bit too risk averse for how klingberg sometimes likes to play but it's been a perfect match and he's been really awesome yeah just back to hitchcock for a second i think he probably is losing the jack adams just because the team hasn't done well but I think there's so many guys on that team, like Tyler Sagan is obviously the one that comes to mind where the guys don't, on surface, don't seem to fit in his system, but he's made them work and they've had great years. Right. And that's a good point you raise because with a lot of these coaches, it feels like, you know, not to discredit the job they're doing because I'm sure they're putting in countless hours and trying their very best, but it's like, it seems like it's a bit kind of interchangeable where you can't really see the coach's fingerprints on the team or the system they play with Hitchcock. Just based on how different this team looks this season compared to years past, like, it's so obvious that he's come in immediately and completely remade it. And so you do need to give him some love for that because you can very clearly point to the impact he's had on him. Sure. All right, I'm going to round out my group of defensemen. I, I've got no one else who who really stands out. Those are some of my favorites. I already said. I think Seth Jones. I know he's been out for a couple games, but mm-hmm. he's really emerged as a guy that should impress. Alex Petrangelo, I think, is a guy that's criminally underrated. Always. In fact, earlier in the year, I did a story where I asked. I don't know. It was like two or three dozen players who's the most underrated uh, guy in the league, and Petrangelo came up more than once. And I remember. I'm trying to think who it was. I think it might have been Jason Spezza who was like, you know, you always look at his offensive numbers, but he's just a good defenseman. Yep. And, and after that, I started watching him a little more, and, and I was way more impressed by him. Yeah, Petrangelo's always been one of those guys. I mean, just always being on Team Canada and everything, and where like it seems like people in hockey have always been higher on him than if you just looked at his numbers or ex- for example you'd, right. you'd be like well there seems to be a bit of a mismatch here but no i mean he's he's incredibly smooth and he does so much for that blues team and uh especially early in the year it seemed like it, it could be his year uh how we were talking about Hedman just recently but the, obviously with the blues kind of uh sputtering here a little bit and potentially missing the playoffs it hurts his campaign i'm glad you brought up seth jones because 
I've recently been talking myself into him potentially being the favorite for this award. Huh. Okay. Convince me. Well, here's the thing. And, and it, it's a bit tough to differentiate um, him from Zach Wierenski. It feels like if you could give it to the best pairing, um, then I'd feel very strongly about those two. But with him, mm-hmm. it's like, how much of it is him and how much of it is Wierenski? Um, you know, are, I'm sure they're making each other look better, but he's just been so good and Columbus has been um, just taking off lately and he does everything. And if you look at the underlying numbers, the blue jackets are so much better with him on the ice than without. And the offensive production is there. Uh, You know, I believe he's up to like 15 goals on the season. It just, it seems like everything's coming together and maybe it's one of those things where it's nice to have sort of a new name in this discussion. It feels like for the past few years, it's been the same guys over and over again. So maybe it's a bit of overcompensation and trying to, you know, pump up the tires for a new guy to get some fresh blood in there. But it, it feels like he should be getting more love than he's been getting. And maybe that's just playing in Columbus. I totally agree. And as a fan of USA hockey, it weeps to hear me say that Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski are the best defensive pair. Cause they would have been really good at the Olympics, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few other guys there as well who have come up through that yeah. through that pipeline that might have looked good. Maybe John Carlson would have been okay with the number three <laughs> defenseman. But I'm going to move bottom say. Yeah, yeah. Don't let's. You know what? We've already done uh, the GM meetings. I think you know we don't need to talk about the Olympics as <laughs> well, well. It's an, well, an I about the Olympics for the 800th time this year. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay, so yeah, I don't, I don't really have a consensus there, and I'm kind of curious to see how the final couple weeks play out. I think there's a bunch of obvious candidates, and I'm kind of cool with a lot of those guys. I don't think there's one guy on that list where, in like, like in years past, where if they won it or sort of the media started pushing for them in their candidacy, where I'd really be outraged by it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty open to it. I mean, it seems like a very open field this season. Yeah, just me predicting media being media. Here's my like bold take on March 23rd. Mm. I would be shocked if it wasn't Dowdy or Headman. I feel like those are the two guys the media will vote for. Yeah, I I I, I think I think Headman uh, seems like the obvious choice based on the team success and the fact that he hasn't won one yet. And uh, you know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. Okay, the Vesna. Um. Mm. So I think I have five guys here. Um, who. I think have to be the top five and I don't even know who the sixth would be. So yeah. No, uh, no pressure, but if you disagree, year. if you disagree, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to hang up and we're not even going to post this podcast. You're wrong. Yeah. Okay, cool. So this is all for moot. Let's, let's hear it. Mm. Here five. Okay. Um, so I think Pekka Rene, uh, is going to win it this season. And, I think it's deserved. Um, you know, he got lit up a little bit last night by Toronto, but it's like the first bad game he's had in two months. So I'm going to give mm-hmm. him a, give him a bit of a free pass there. And, you know, I know people are going to point to the wins and the goals against average, and that's not even the stuff I'm looking at. It, it just, the, the underlying resume there is there for me where, especially in the past couple of years, it seemed like, um, his pedigree was higher than his actual on ice performance. And I thought, especially last year, he was a bit of a liability for the predators. And this year it's been the exact opposite where he's been their best player. So I'm all for, I'm all for recognizing that and giving him the, uh, the honor of the best goalie this season. I have no argument there. We can keep the podcast going. Okay. Um, so now here's where it gets interesting because I think he's sort of the obvious number one. I think the two to five is fascinating and it's kind of a jumble there and it could go either way in personal preference. And these are the guys I got. I got John Gibson, I got Sergei Bobrovsky, I got Connor Hellebuyck, and I have Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, I would agree. And 
I think we have to put the disclaimer in there that maybe two of the best goalies this year have been Roberto Luongo and Marc-Andre Fleury, yep. uh, both at great ages. At the same time, both have missed significant times, and perhaps that's helping their performance a little bit. For sure. So. And, and, and this is one of those awards where, you know, we were talking about with Selkie earlier, where if you miss some time, uh, that's fine for me. And obviously no goalie's going to start all 82 games, but I do credit guys for shouldering a bigger workload here. Cause I do think it's just based on the physical demands and, and, and mental demands of the position. Um, I'm always impressed by guys who are able to keep their performance high while playing 60, 65, even up to 70 games. Right. And one of the things that's interesting is if you look at the goaltender leaders today, Carter Hutton's actually, you know, the leader in goals against average and save percentage, but he's been platooning uh, right. with Jake Allen. So I can't, I don't know how many starts he has, but I don't think it's enough that we can qualify him. No, no, definitely not. Um, so do you, do you have a personal preference between those guys that I mentioned there with uh, Vasilevsky, Bobrovsky, Hellebuck, and, and uh, John Gibson? Yeah, I think Vasilevsky is my number two. Uh, you know, he's number two in shutouts. He's number. Uh, he's actually number one in win above Rene. Uh, he's a pretty good save percentage. Uh, actually, no, he's not in the top ten for save percentage. I see. He's dropped um, quite a bit since. Uh, I mean, you know, winning seven six yesterday uh, will do right. will will do harm to your save percentage. Yeah, playing the Islanders who can you know yes. score eight and, and give up eight every night. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's my number two. Hellebuck is probably my number three, and I think. Just because I look at his overall value for the team, you know, when he emerged as a guy, you know, when they finally had a guy in goal, the team became good and his numbers back it up as well. Yeah. Um, You know, Bobrovsky, this is an interesting distinction for this award because I think people sometimes think of it as who's the best goalie. And I, I think of it more so as which goalie's having the best season. Hmm. Um, because, okay. because I think Bobrovsky's the best goalie in the world right now. Um, but I, I don't think he's necessarily had the best season out of these guys. I, I think he should be in this discussion in the top five. But I don't know. I, I kind of want to give John Gibson a bit of love here. Um, another uh, The thing is with Anaheim is, especially early in the year, um, they basically had no one up front playing. It seemed like everyone was in the injured reserve. And he really kept it together. And then now they're in the thick of this playoff race. And he has like a 940 save percentage the past 15 games. So... I, I'm leaning towards actually having him second in this race, although those five guys are sort of a, a bit interchangeable. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because when we start talking about Hart, some of the cases I make, I look at a lot of guys' numbers from January 1st on. They love to see, okay, when the stakes become higher, how do you play? And the fact that John Gibson, as you said, this is the tightest Western Conference race we've had in a while. I actually got a note from the Ducks yesterday. Um, I have to look it up, but it was a pretty incredible stat where they said, you know, it's never been this tight points this late in the season. So for Gibson to stand on his head like that, you got to give him some credit. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's uh, let's finish this up, up then with the heart. Um, Ooh, yeah. I feel like this, this one's actually fun. Come on. Yeah, it is. And this is going to be one of those where I feel like... Uh, you know, like the Norris in years past, this is the one that's going to cause the internet to uh, to blow up a little bit because it seems like there's a couple divided factions and they feel very strongly about who should win this award. Yeah, this is almost like election season where it's so polarizing, where it's mm-hmm. like, how can you not see Alex Ovechkin? Probably a bad example with Ovechkin in Russia, but how right. can you not see he's number one? Yeah. Um, yeah. The over-truthers are out there. They are. And you know what? He... Uh, Unlike last year where the, the capitals were super deep, uh, he has had to do a lot of the heavy lifting this season, but I don't know, like where, where do, where do you stand with this award? Who are, which way are you leaning? Do, does, does the team need to make the playoffs, um, for you to give the guy credit in this award? That's the like, is a hot dog a sandwich uh, yes. question for the NHL this year. <laughs> it is. Uh, 
I'm someone who says I don't think it automatically disqualifies you, but I think you have to have one of those seasons like you had where you have like 80 more points than the number two guy. Like you have to blow me away. And so obviously the guy we're talking about here is Connor McDavid. And if you look at like his stats are great, but he's not blowing me away from all these other guys who's have, you know, will their teams into the playoffs. Right. And that's where, I mean, it kind of goes into what I just said with the Vesna, where it's the kind of the distinction between the best player versus who's having the best season. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. Like, I think like if you look at best player, it's, it's probably McDavid. McDavid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But you're right. I mean, I guess it, it this, this is the annoying thing about the award where it's like, if we just call it the most outstanding player, it would, I feel like it would eliminate so many of these debates. Oh, a hundred percent. But why would they do that? It's actually good for the league. I think it's healthy to have these debates. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been in the camp all that if the abs make the playoffs, Nathan McKinnon needs to win mm-hmm. because it felt like he single-handedly willed them into the postseason. However, if you watch avalanche games over the last month or so, you realize how great Ronatin, 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 Ronatin. Oh my gosh. It's, it's been a struggle yeah. uh, <laughs> that he's been for that team. And actually since January 1st, Ronatin also actually hits more points than McKinnon now. I mean, it's 47, 46. Yeah. Uh, Ronatin obviously is close. You know, McKinnon has more goals. That's third and fourth in the league, which is pretty impressive, but it's not just the Nathan McKinnon show as kind of the narrative has been. Um, that said, I, I still think I'm leaning McKinnon, but I'm more, as every day passes, I fall more and more in love with the case for Vagny Malkin. Um, he's actually scored 17.1% of the Penguins' goals, so that's a fifth rate in the league. Um, Ovechkin's obviously first at 19.5%, but... Uh, since January 1st, as I said, kind of one of my thresholds, he leads the league with 55 points. It's crazy. That's just in 34 games. And in a year where they've obviously had goaltending issues, their defense hasn't been great. Uh, Malkin, I think, has really carried the load. Yeah, I think that's fair. Something I look at, I, I tweeted this chart out yesterday, but something I generally look at for this type of award and this discussion is sort of, I look at um, like the number of team goals and the number of primary points. So basically, like just goals and, and uh, goals directly created through assists. And the percentage of that and sort of how responsible you are for your team's offensive success. And the top five guys are McDavid, McKinnon, Sagan, Ovechkin, and Malkin. Um, and I think that's a pretty sort of apt snapshot of um, sort of who has been the most valuable for their team. And with Malkin, it's kind of tough sort of because of, especially on the power play, how much Kessel and Crosby are involved as well. So it feels like those guys are kind of cannibalizing votes from each other, but he's been stupendously good this season. Sure. And if I want to totally take this away from stats, if we want to do like a total narrative approach, it's like, all right, he's always going to be second fiddle to Sid, right? When we look at that team, we never look at him as the true superstar because he's got Sid there. Well, here's the only year where we feel like he's played at a level above Sydney, and therefore this is the one year we can give it to him. Yeah, I know. I like it. I mean, that would uh, that would certainly get people to get pretty mad online. Um, although it doesn't take too much to to accomplish that these days. I, I think I think I'm still leaning McKinnon. Um, and it might honestly be, I guess if they don't make the playoffs, then it's like between him and McDavid, but he's just been so absurdly good and put it all together this season. And I feel like, you know, if you use these awards as kind of a snapshot of what happened that season, when you look back five, 10 years from now, like this is going to be, I'm going to remember this as the year Nathan McKinnon finally burst on the scene as one of the top players. Yeah, he's having a moment. He is, and I want to recognize that moment. I want to, uh, I want to appreciate. It. I want to embrace it. I want to, uh, I just want to enjoy it. Cool. We'll put it to a montage of one shining glory. I like it, um, Emily. Let's uh, let's let's get out of here. Let's plug some stuff. What are you working on these days? I know you. Uh, we talked about the Patrick Line post. Are you? Uh, do you have anything else on your on your horizon? 
Yeah, I'm finishing up this week another story for ESPN The Mag on Surprise, Surprise Vegas. Uh, it's a pretty fun piece, though, I think. You know, I'm not giving it too much away. The crux of it is just how everyone in the league has been overthinking them, and I think that's one of the true reasons for the success. So whether it's where to stay on the strip, and I've got some funny details from that, to, you know, the expansion draft and, and how to play them. Um, so that's something I'm working up. And uh, as always, you know, Greg Wyshynski and I have some coverage on ESPN.com. We do cover hockey, and we're, we're doing it earnestly. So what? I encourage everyone to check it out. I know. Despite what the Internet thinks, ESPN does cover some hockey. Uh, and it covers it well. You, you both of you have done a, an awesome job this season, and I'm really happy we finally got to do this thing. And let's uh, let's do it again sometime soon. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. All right, chat soon, Emily. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com/slash Hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.